the I didn't realize you liked me that way deal. Because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag. Appreciate you. There's a deal for every morning. Now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Mojo Five O. I just can't do it today. I can't do it. I can't do the whole politics humdrum again today. Been doing it all week with Andrew Coppins on Critical Thinking. And there's just been so much politics and crap this week. So much with the Loudoun County school, school districts, um, the what's going on, the elections in Virginia, the elections even that are going on here in Utah. Um, we have some local elections that are going on right now. Um, we have, you know, our Pino in chief and all the bull crap that he's been up to. I just, I can't do it. I need a break. I suspect many of you also need a break. I mean, it is Saturday. Tomorrow is Halloween, which feels weird to have Halloween on a Sunday. But if you listen to critical thinking yesterday, you'll, you'll know that it's actually a, Catholic thing, I which I had no idea was even specific to the Catholic Church at all, by the way. I just thought it was a... I actually did think it was a pagan holiday, believe it or not. Um, I didn't realize that all the history that was actually behind it, but Andrew actually did a really good job of explaining it yesterday on Critical Thinking. If you want to go back and look up the uh, podcast over on Spreaker or Apple um, podcast or whatever you like to listen to podcasts, you can go look it up. It's actually pretty good. It's in the uh, second half of the show. But I, I just, I can't do the politics thing today. And I, I wanted to do something a little different. And well, it's really not that different because I actually do know some people that, that do this on their, on their radio programs right around Halloween. And I'm going to read some Edgar Allan Poe. Um, I've got a few stories picked out. I actually did this last year in the second half of my show. Um, I did Telltale Heart and The Raven. This year, I'm actually going to do a few more. Um, and I'm actually just going to make the entire show, really, about Edgar Allan Poe. And just reading some of his stories in the spirit of Halloween and in the spirit of getting out of politics and just having some... I don't know, normalcy for a change. Um, hopefully you enjoy it. Um, this is something I, I always liked Edgar Allan Poe growing up. Um, when we were studying him in school and stuff, that was one, usually one of my more favorite topics in English literature that we went over. Um, he had a very interesting life. Um, he had a very sad life. Um, and if you know any of the history behind him, um, he lost his wife to tuberculosis, which was also known as the Red Death during that time. Um, his wife, by the way, was also his cousin. 
Um, and he was, I believe, like 13 years older than her. She was, I believe, 13. He was 26 when they when they were married. But uh, he lost her fairly early in life um, to tuberculosis. And he, he often writes about elements of what they call the Red Death in um, his stories, in his literature. You, it, it seems to come out a lot and to be a fairly common theme. But what a lot of people don't know is that Edgar Allan Poe didn't just write dark stories. He actually wrote some more comedic things as well. Um, he's just not as well known for them. But uh, he, he's known for all of his really dark stories like, you know, Telltale Heart, The Raven, um, The Black Cat, which is actually another story that I have picked out for this as well. And I chose the darker stuff purposely because, well, it's Halloween. And when I think of Halloween, I, I often think of stories like I'm about to get into. So hopefully that you will enjoy it. I would just say go ahead and sit back and relax. Um, enjoy the stories. If you're listening to this a little bit later from when the show airs, um, if you're listening to this at night, you know, the, the, this whole, will hopefully be fun for you if you set the right mood. So without further ado, I'm going to get into... Um, Edgar Allan Poe. And actually, first, I should do this. If you're easily scared, you might think about getting some American Pride Roasters. You know, maybe to help calm the nerves, maybe keep you awake if you don't like the dark. I don't know. Whatever whatever floats your boat, just go to AmericanPrideRoasters.com. They've all got all sorts of different flavors over there that you can get into. Um, lots of great stuff. Uh, Andrew really likes the Burl Hamilton the most. Um, I, you know, there's a lots of other flavors over there too. Some experimental flavors like the, uh, um, Ron's sexual chocolate or Doc's bacon blast or Izzo's rage. They even got some coffee drops too, if you're into that sort of thing. So go to AmericanPrideRoasters.com. That is AmericanPrideRoasters.com. All right. Now, seriously, without further ado, The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. True. Nervous. Very, very dreadful nervous. I had been and am, but why will you say that I am mad? The disease had, sh had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, but dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived it haunted me day and night. Object there was none, passion there was none. I loved the old man, he never wronged me. He never given me insult. For his gold, I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. One of his eyes resembled that of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind 
to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it, oh so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed so that no light shone out, and then I thrust in my head. Oh, you should have seen, oh, you should have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening of that. I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern, cautiously, oh, so cautiously, cautiously for the hinges creaked i undid it just so much so much that a single thin ray fell upon my upon the vulture eye and this i did for seven long nights every night just at midnight but i found the eye always closed And so it was impossible to do the work, for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning, when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had passed the night. So you you see... He would have been a very profound old man, indeed to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. The watch's minute hand moves more quickly than than did mine. Never before that night, had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my own sagacity, city, I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think that there I was, opening the door, little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly as if he was startled. Now you may think I drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch with the thick darkness, for the shutters were closed, fastened through fear of robbers. And so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door 
and I kept pushing it on steadily. Steadily. I had my head in and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the the tin fastening and the old man sprang up in his bed crying out, Who's there? I kept quiet. Still and nothing and said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime, I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed listening, just as I have done night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently, I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief. Oh, no. It was low stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it was welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo the terrors and the distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him. Although I chuckled at heart, I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise. When he had turned in the bed, his fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy the costless, but but could not. He had been saying to himself, It's nothing but the wind and the chimney. It is only a mouse crossing the floor, or it merely a cricket which had made a single chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with the suspicions, but he had found but he had found all in vain, all in vain, because death in approaching him had stalked with black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard to feel the presence of my head within the room when I had when I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern, so I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length a single dim ray, like the thread of the spider, shot from the crevice and fell upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinction, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it and chilled the very marrow of my bones. But I could see nothing else, the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon the damned spot. And now I have told you what you mistake for madness is but an acuteness of the senses." Now, I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. 
I knew that sound well too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury. As the beating of the drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet, I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder. I say louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now, at the dead hour of night, amid the dreadful silence of the old house, so strange a noise as his excited me to uncontrollable terror, yet for some minutes longer I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder and louder. I thought the heart must burst. And now... A new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, only once. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. Then I smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heartbeat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it cre- it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it where many minutes there was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If you still think I'm I'm mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and legs. I then took three planks from the floor of the chamber and deposited all between the scalings. I then replaced the boards so cleverly, so cunning that no human eye, not even his, could be detected of anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. <laughs> When I had made the end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for who had now, for who I had now to fear. There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect severity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play and been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled. For what I had to fear. I bade the gentleman welcome. 
The shriek, I said, was my own, in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I shadowed them his showed him his treasures, secured undisturbed in the enthusiasm of my confidence. I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of the familiar things, but ere long I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I had fancied ringings in my ears, but still they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued to become more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definitiveness until at length I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice, yet the sound increased and... What could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued my trifles in high key and without violent gestulations. But the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor and fro with heavy strides. And as if I excited to fury by the observations of the men. But the noise steadily increased. Oh God, what can I do? I formed, I raved, I swore. I swung the chair which I was been sitting and grated it upon the boards and the noise arose over and continually increased. It grew louder, louder, louder! And still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, no! They heard, they suspected, they knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. This was, this I thought, and this I think, but anything could be better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die. And now again, hark, louder, louder, louder. Villains, I shrieked, dissemble no more. I admit the deed, tear up the planks, here, here, it is beating of his hideous heart. That was A Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. That is probably hmm, my, my favorite of the 
um, Edgar Allan Poe stories. Um, no, I, I, I don't have that kind of a dark side about me, in just case you're wondering. But this was just something that, you know, my all of my English teachers growing up in high school and um, even in college, um, we read this one a lot. And I always learn a little something different every time. And I always try to kind of imagine, you know, like anytime I read any story, what is it like um, to, to be that character, to kind of get a sense of what that character must must feel like. And I, I think every time I read this story, I get a little something different. I mean, obviously there's fear, there's horror, there's madness to it. But madness can, can show in many, many forms, I think. And it seems like every time I read this story, I, I read it almost slightly differently until I get about after the fact that he has killed the man that that's always about the same, but the, but the madness for me has always come out a little bit differently every time I've read it. And it, it, it actually kind of, it almost scares me sometimes, but it, uh, I don't know. Maybe it makes the character more relatable. Maybe, maybe more understanding. I don't know. Let me know what you think. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I will be right back with more Edgar Allan Poe right after the break. concept for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them and I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org m25m.org Fast Track student loans can get your student loans out of default, stop any wage garnishments, stop collection calls, and stop seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and get your student loan payments down to as little as $25 a month based on what you can afford to pay. 800-709-4395. Supply chain disruptions, shortages, panic buying. Unfortunately, they've all become facts of life in 2021. The good news is you have preparewithmojo50.com as a hedge against all the craziness. At preparewithmojo50.com, not only will you find emergency food supplies. Remember when that seemed like a fringe conspiracy theory thing to do? Not so much anymore, right? Not only will you find the emergency food supply, but also water filtration, air filtration, all sorts of other tools that you can use in the event of uh, an unforeseen situation or emergency which with every day that goes by seems more and more likely. Better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Preparewithmojo50.com. If you want to keep food on the table, if you just want to maintain some sense of normalcy, preparewithmojo50.com is the answer. Preparewithmojo50.com. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them, and I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org, m25m.org. Welcome back to the Pat Oney Show right here on Mojo Five O. I'm your host, Pat Oney. 
Uh, follow me over on Twitter at the Pat Oni Show. Use the hashtag Stand with Business Pat. Use the hashtag What I Learned Today. Uh, also, find me over on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and over on the Locals community with Andrew Coppins. It's the critical thinking community that we are over there on Locals. I believe Rumble just bought Locals as well, so you can check out the Critical Thinking show and its video format in its entirety over on rubble.com backslash critical thinking. You can also become a subscriber to the Critical Thinking community for just five bucks a month. Um, it's criticalthinking.locals.com backslash subscribe. That's criticalthinking.locals.com backslash subscribe. Like I said, it's just five bucks a month. If you listen to the top half of the show, you know I'm doing some Edgar Allan Poe readings today um, in uh, light of Halloween um, being tomorrow. Um, I thought it would be more fun than talking about politics because I'm just kind of done for the moment. So I'm not talking politics today. So without further ado, I'm going to get into Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, and I'm also going to do The Mask of the Red Death because, frankly, that one just seems timely considering. But anyway, here we go. The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as some gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. Ah, I distinctly remember... It was a bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I sought to borrow from my book's surcrease of sorrow, sorrow of the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here and evermore. And the silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me filled with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now I still the beating of my heart I stood repeating to some visitor entering entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, this it is and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating, then no longer. Sir and I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened the door. Darkness there was, and nothing more. Deep into the darkness, peering long, I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams. No mortal ever dared to dream before. But the, the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token. And the only word there was spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered and echoed murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely was nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within the burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, 
said I. Surely there is, that is something at my window, Gladys. Let me see, then, what, what threat is in this mystery explore? Let my heart be still a moment in this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shuttered one with the flirt and flutter. In there stepped sterly a raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least of obstinance made he. Not a minute stopped he stayed he. But with mine of lord or lady perched above my chamber door. Perched upon the palace above my chamber door. Perched and sat and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiled my sad fancy into smiling. By the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, though thy crest be shorn and shaven now, I said, art thou now craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore? Tell me why loudly name in night's plutonium shore, quoth the raven. Nevermore. Much I marveled and ungainly foul to hear discourse so plainly, though a little meaning, little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever was blessed with seeing bird above the chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured above his chamber door, with such name as Nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely in the placid bust, spoke only the only, that one word as if his soul, that one word he did outpour, nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before, on the morrow he will leave me, and my hopes have flown before, then he, the bird said, Nevermore. Startled the stillness broken by reply and aptly spoken, doubtless said I, what it utters, it is only stock in store, caught some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster, still the songs of bird and boar, till the dinges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never. Nevermore. But the raven, still beguiling my fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushing seat in front of the bird, the bust, the burst and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy into fancy, thinking into ominous bird of yore. What grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, of an ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaging and guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into the bosom's core. This and more I sat divining with my head at ease reclining on the cushions of velvet lining that the lamp light gloated o'er but whose velvet violet lining 
and a lamp light gloating o'er, she shall press, ha, nevermore. Then, the, then methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from unseen censer, swung by seraphim, whose foot falls tinkling on the tuffled floor. Wretched, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by angels he hath sent thee, respite, respite, and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quoth, O oh, quoth, kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still a bird of or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempter tossed thee hence ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, and thus desert land enchanted, on the home by horror hunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there some bomb in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by heaven that bends above us, by God we both adore. Tell this soul with sorrow laden within the distant Aden, is shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Clasp a rare radiant maiden whom angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be thy word or sign of parting bird or fiend, I shrieked upstarting, get thee back into tempest and thy night's plutonium shore. Leave no black plume of a token of lie thy soul has spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit this bus above my door. Take thy beak from my heart and tell thy form off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still sitting, still sitting on this pallid bust of palace just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all seen of a demon that's dreaming. And the lamplight o'er him steaming through his shadows of the floor. And my soul from the shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. That was The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. And now for my last one for the show, I'm going to do The Mask of the Red Death because, frankly, it just seems oddly timely. And I'll let you interpret as to why it's timely. The Mask of the Red Death by Edgar Allan Poe. The Red Death has long devastated the country. No pestilence has ever been so fatal or so hideous. Blood was its avatar and its seal. The redness and the horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness, and the profound bleeding of the pores with disillusion. The scarlet stains upon the body, especially upon the face of the victim, were the pest pan which shut him out from the aid and sympathy of his fellow men. And the whole seizure, a progress, and termination of the disease were the incidents of half an hour. 
But the Prince Prospero was happy and dauntless and sagacious. When his dominions were half depopulated, he summoned the presence of a thousand hale and light-hearted friends from among the knights and dames of his court, which he retired to the deep seclusion of his own castle prince's own eccentric yet august taste. A strong and lofty wall girdled in it. Girdled it in. The wall had gates of iron, the courtiers having entered um, the furnaces, and the massy hammers were welded in bolts and resolved the means of neither ingress or egress into the sudden impulses of the despair or a frenzy from within. The abbey was aptly provisioned, which precautions the courtiers which might bid defiance to contagion. The external world could take care of itself. In the meantime, it was folly to grieve or to think. The prince had provided all the appliances of pleasure. They were buffoons. They were improvisatories. There were ballad dancers and musicians, and there was beauty, there was wine, and there was security where within, without was the Red Death. It was toward the close of the fifth or sixth month of seclusion, and while the pestilence raged most furiously abroad, that the Prince Prospero entertained his thousands of friends at a masked ball of the most unusual magnificence. It was voluptuous seeing that masquerade, but the first, let me tell the rooms of which held, there were seven, an imperial suite. In many palaces, however, such suites from long and straight vista, while the folding doors slide back nearly to the walls of either hand, so that the view of the whole extent is scarcely impeded. Here, the case was very different. As might have been expected from the Duke's love of the bazaar, the apartments were so irregularly disposed that the vision embraced but little more than one at a time. There was a sharp turn at every 20 or 30 yards, and at each turn, a novel effect to the right and left in the middle of each wall. A tall, narrow, gothic window looked out upon the closed corridor with pursed and windings of the suite. These windows were stained in stained glass whose color varied in accordance to the prevailing hue of the decorations of the chamber into which it opened. That the eastern extremity was hung, an example in blue and vividly blue, were its windows. A second chamber was purple, and its ornaments and tapestries, and here were panes were purple. The third was green throughout, and the cas- casements, and so were the casements. The fourth was furnished and light with orange, the fifth with white, and the sixth with violet. The seventh apartment was closely shrouded in black velvet tapestries that hung all over the ceiling and down the walls falling in heavy folds upon the carpet of the same material and hue. But in the chamber, only the color of the windows failed to correspond with the decorations. These panes were scarlet, a deep blood color. Now one of the seven apartments, there was there, there any lamp or candlebellum uh, amid profusion of the golden ornaments that lay scattered to fro and dependent from the roof.
there was no light or kind emanating the lamp candle and the sweet chambers. But in corridor that followed the suite and stood opposite of each window, a heavy tripod bearing a brazier fire that projected its rays through the tinted glass so glaringly illuminated the room and thus the produced multitude of gaudy fantastic appearances but in western black chamber the effect of the fiery light and streamed upon the dark hangings on the blood tinted panes it was ghastly and extreme and produced a wild look upon the countenances of those who entered that few of the company were bold enough to set foot within the precincts at all. It was this apartment also that stood against the western wall, a gigantic clock of ebony. Its pendulum swung, fro and dull and heavy, monstrous clang. And when minute and made handmade the circuit of the face and the hour stricken there came a brazen lung of the clock which sound was clear and loud and deep exceedingly musical but so particular a note and emphasis at each lapse of the hour the musicians and the orchestra were constrained to pause momentarily in their performance to hearken to the sound and thus the waltzers perforce ceased and the evolutions they were a brief disconcert of the whole gay company. And while the chimes of the clock yet rang, it was observed that the giddiest grew pale, and aged sedate passed their hands over their bowels as if confused reverie meditation. But the echoes had fully ceased. A lighter laughter at once pervaded the assembly. The musicians looked at each overhand and smiled at their own nervousness and folly made whispering vows that each of the next chiming of the clock would produce in some them no similar emotion and then last 60 minutes, which embrace 3,600 seconds of the time that flies. There came yet another chiming of the clock and there were the same disconcert and tremult tremulousness of meditation as before but in spite of these things it was gay magnificent revel the tastes of the duke were peculiar he had fine eye of the color effects he disregarded the decora and of mere fashion his plans were bold and fiery and his conceptions glowed with barbaric luster there were some who would have thought him mad his followers felt that he was not it was necessary to hear and see and touch him to sure that he was not. He had directed a great part of movable establishments of the seven chambers upon occasion, a great feat, and was guiding taste which had given character to the masqueraders. Be sure they were grotesque. They were much glare and glitter and uh, piquancy and phantasm, much of what has been seen in Hermione. There was an arboresque figure with unsuited limbs and appointments. The delirious fancies of the madman fashioned that there was beautiful, much of the wanton, much of the bizarre, something of the terrible, and not little of which might have excited disgust. To and fro in the seven chambers were stocked, in fact, multitude of dreams, and these, the dreams withered in and about taking hue in the rooms and causing wild music in the orchestra to seem as an echo in their steps and anon strikes the ebony clock which stands in the hall of the of the velvet 
and in the moment all is still and all is silent and the voice of the clock and the dream still frozen and they stand and the echoes of the chime die away and the endured but an instant and light half subdued laughter floats after them as they depart and now again the music swells and the dreams live and writhe to and fro and merely than ever taking from the tinted windows through which stream the rays from the tripods but the chamber which lies most westwardly of the seven there were none of the maskers who venture for the night is waning away and flows the rudder light and the blood colored panes and the blackness of the stable drapery appalls and to him whose foot falls upon the stable carpet come here come the clock of ebony and muffled peel and solemnly emphatic which reaches their ears and indulge in the more remote gaieties of the other apartments but these other apartments were densely crowded and beat feverishly their hearts and the revel and ruling light until until the length there commenced a sounding midnight upon the clock and the music ceased as i have told and the evolutions of the waltzers have quieted and there were other uneasy sensations of the things before but now there were 12 strokes and to be sounded by the bell of the clock and thus it happened perhaps more of a thought crept with more time into the meditations of thoughtful among those who had reveled. And thus it happened, perhaps, that before the last echoes of the last chime had uttered, sunk, utterly sunk into the silence, there were many individuals in the crowd who had found leisure to become the presence of the masked figures had arrested the attention of the single individual before. The rumor of this presence have spread itself unwhisperingly around the length of the whole company of buzz or murmur expressive of disprobation uh, and surprise, then finally a terror or horror and of disgust. In the assembly, the phantasm such as painted it well and be supposed the ordinary appearance have excited such sensation its truth masquerade license and nearly unlimited, but the figure in question was heralded Herod and gone beyond the bounds, even the prince indefinite decorum. There were chords of the hearts of most reckless and cannot be touched without emotion and with the utterly lost to whom life and the death of equally just their matters of which no jest can be made. The whole company, indeed, seemed now deeping, deeply to feel that in the most bearing of stranger, neither wit nor propriety existed. The figure and tall gaunt shroud of the head-to-foot habulence of the grave, the mask which concealed the, the visage of nearly to resemble the countenance stiffened corpse closest scrutiny, must have had difficulty in detecting the cheat. And yet all have been endured, if not approved, by the mad revelers of the murmur, had gone so far to assume the type of the Red Death, his venture had dabbled in blood, and his broad brow, with all of his features of his face, was besprinkled with scarlet horror. When 
the eyes of the Prince Prospero fell upon the spectacle image with which with a slow and solemn movement as the fully sustained its role striked to fro among the waltzers. He was seen as convulsed and the first movement which strong shudder either terror or distaste but in the next his brow reddened with rage. Who dares? He demanded hoarsely, the couriers near him, who dares insult us with this blasphemous mockery? Seizure him to unmask him, and we may know whom have to hang a sunrise from the, from the battlements. It was the eastern blue chamber in which stood the Prince Prospero as they uttered these words. They rang throughout the seven rooms loudly and clearly, and the prince was a bold, robust man, and the music had become hushed and waving of his hand. And in, in the blue room there stood the prince with a group of pale couriers by his side. At first he spoke there, the slight rushing movement of the group in the direction of the intruder whom the movement moment was also near but deliberate in the taste of step made closer approach to the speaker but must certain nameless awe which the mad assumption of the murmur and inspired the whole party where found none who put forth the, the hand of seizure him or seize him so that in unimpeded he passed within the yard of the prince's person and while the vast assembly as if with the impulse shrank the centers of the room and the walls he made his way uninterruptedly but the the same solemn measured steps which had distinguished him in the first through the blue chamber of the purple through the the purple to the green through the green to the orange through the again to the white and even thence to the violet and decided the movement had been made to arrest him it was then however that the prince prospero maddening with rage the shame of his own momentary cowardice rushed hurried the six chambers while followed him on to the account of deadly terror that seized upon all he bore aloft a draw dagger and approached the rapid impurosity with within three or four feet retreating figure within the latter having attained the extremity of the velvet apartment turned suddenly and confronted his pursuer there was a sharp cry the dagger dropped gleaming into the the, the sable carpet upon which afterwards fell prostate a in death the prince prospero then summoning the wild courage of despair a throng of the revelers once them threw themselves into the black apartment and seizing the murmur whose tall figure stood erect motionless within the shadow of the ebony clock gasped unutterably horror and grave uh, ceramics of corpse-like mask which handed with a violent a rudeness unintended by a tangible form and now and now as acknowledged the presence of the red death he had come like a thief in the night and by one dropped the revelers in the blood be bed bedwetted halls of their revel had died in despairing posture of his fall and the life of ebony clock went out that the last of the gay and the flames of the tripods expired and darkness and decay and the red death held illimitable dominion over all.
was The Mask of the Red Death by Edgar Allan Poe. If you didn't get the fact that it was about a plague, an unstoppable plague, well, I can't help you. But I can tell you I will be back with Andrew Coppins on Monday right here on Mojo 5 Radio, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and pretty much wherever other podcasts are played. Until then, don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. And have a happy Halloween. This is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five O. The I didn't realize you liked me that way deal. Because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag. Appreciate you. There's a deal for every morning. Now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba.